Part of the difficulty of this sermon series, Fish Stories and Flannel Boards, is we are dealing with large chunks of Scripture. In order to try to get through the entire Bible in one year, that means the, the major stories, the major narratives of Scripture, to get through all those in one year, we have to deal with huge chunks of Scripture. Today we're dealing with 14 chapters in Genesis. In fact, we will be, Lord willing, finishing up Genesis today. But last week, I spent a significant amount of time just summarizing the events of Jacob's life. And so I came across this video for kids, right? Which, praise God, somebody has taken the time to simplify the story, summarize it on a level that all of us can understand. And so I thought that video was very helpful because we're not going to read through the entire story, obviously, of these 14 chapters that tell us about Joseph's life, and I'm not going to go through each chapter like I did last week. I had fun doing that, don't get me wrong, but it just took so much time. So uh, hopefully that synopsis there gave you enough to go on as we jump forward through today's message. You'll remember last week that we looked at Isaac and Jacob in the book of Genesis, which means beginning. The The word Genesis simply means beginning. And just as a side note, it's called Genesis because it is a book all about beginnings. All 50 chapters from chapter 1 to chapter 50 is about beginnings. The beginning of the universe, right? We looked at the creation story. God said, let there be, and there was, everything. And nothing that has been created wasn't created through Him. That means everything is created by him. The beginning of the universe, obviously the beginning of this earth that we stand on and live on. The beginning of man and all the life that is on this earth. The beginning of sin. The beginning of salvation all the way back in the garden when God showed Adam and Eve grace and mercy and then said that your offspring, your seed Eve, will crush the excuse me, the head of the serpent. Satan, prophesying the coming Messiah who would be the Savior of mankind and would defeat sin and death forever. And then as we're looking at, and and we've looked at, starting with Abraham, it's the beginning of Israel, the beginning of a nation, the beginning of a special chosen people, people of God's own making through whom he would bless the entire world all throughout History And so last week, as I said, we looked at the lives of Isaac and Jacob, and those two, along with Isaac's father, Abraham, are known as the patriarchs. They're the fathers, the fathers of Israel. They're the fathers of Judaism. They're the fathers of Christianity. They're the fathers of a nation and of our faith. Abraham was the first. Abraham was Isaac's father, and Isaac was Jacob's father. And you'll remember that God changed Isaac's name, or I'm sorry, Jacob's name to Israel because he would be the father of the 12 men from whom the 12 tribes of Israel would come more or less. Now, as I said last week, I say more or less because one of Jacob's sons, Levi, does not receive an official portion of the promised land because his offspring become the priest, the one who served in the temple. But another, of, Joseph, uh, but another of, of Jacob's sons, Joseph, who we're going to talk about today, gets a double portion through his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And so you have two tribes of Israel named Manasseh and Ephraim who are not sons of Jacob, but are grandsons of him. And so this is how, I don't know if you can see this or not, it may be too small for you to read here, but this is kind of the family tree starting with Abraham. Abraham and Sarah who had Isaac, Isaac and Rebekah who had Jacob. Of course, they had other sons and daughters as well, but these are the ones that we're focusing in on, the patriarchs. And then through Jacob come these 12 sons who, who are the 12 tribes of Israel, more or less. Jacob, remember, he, the old bait and switch, Laban, his uncle. Jacob fell in love with Rachel, but on their wedding night, Laban wanted his first daughter Leah to get married first, and so he tricked Jacob, Jacob who was the trickster himself, and he gave him Leah first instead after working for seven years. And then Jacob said, if I work seven more years, will you give me Rachel? Absolutely. So he gets to marry Rachel as well. The problem is Rachel is barren. She cannot have children. Leah can have children really well. And she's popping them out right and left. So Jacob and Leah, she has four sons. Now, she may have had other children as well. We know that there's at least one daughter named Dinah because there's a story about her that we talked about briefly. She has four sons. Of course, Rachel is really jealous. And Leah's jealous of Rachel because Jacob loves her more. And Rachel's jealous of Leah because Leah can have children. And Leah likes to lord that over Rachel because that's really all that she's got going for her. She wasn't much to look at, the Bible tells us. She didn't have Jacob's affection but she could give him children. So after four sons, Rachel's had enough. She says, Jacob, take my servant, Bilah, which that kind of takes you back to Abraham and Sarah. Remember when she gave Abraham Hagar, her servant, to have a child, because Sarah couldn't have a child at that point. Bilhah has two children. Well, Leah's not going to have that. She's not going to be outdone by her sister. So she gives Jacob her servant, Zilpa, she has two sons, Gad and Asher. So now you've got eight children. And then God blesses Leah. She has two more children, Isaac, or, uh, Issachar and Zebulun. And then finally, God blesses Rachel's womb, and she bears a son named Joseph, Jacob's tenth son. And then she has a final son for Jacob, Benjamin. And in that childbirth, Rachel dies. And now Jacob has 12 sons. And Joseph is Jacob's favorite. Joseph is the one Jacob loves. Now this last story that we will be looking at in Genesis takes us to the end of the book. It is the story of Jacob's second to youngest son, Joseph, and God's plan for Joseph's life, which God would use in his work in building himself a nation. This is all very, very important, every detail. And and the journey that got Joseph to where he was, though painful, was necessary. Because Joseph was the one through whom God would save the 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel, and therefore the 12 tribes of Israel. This was necessary. It was through Joseph's life and faith that God used to deliver Joseph's family and continue the path towards building a nation. 
But Joseph's story, his path to being second in command in Egypt and being in position to deliver his family from starvation, it wasn't neat and tidy and pleasant. It was messy. It was difficult. And Joseph's faith wasn't always immediately rewarded. In fact, at times it seemed like his faith only caused him more trouble and brought more heartache. Have you ever felt like that? Lord, I'm doing the right thing here. And it doesn't seem to be working. In fact, doing the right thing seems to be turning out kind of bad for me. Now, the events of Joseph's life took place from 915 B.C. when Joseph was born to 1805 B.C. when he died. And that's, that's the uh, background of today's message. On Thursday, I attended, it's called a CSIP meeting, C-S-I-P. It stands for Comprehensive School Improvement Plan. And, and this CSIP, CSIP, seeks to create and carry out goals and plans for accomplishing district, our school district's improvements for better education uh, or better educational environments and student learning. So it's just a, a five-year plan in which they're always trying to make sure we are taking care of the students in our community. And I was asked to be a part of that as a parent representative. And um, as the meeting opened, our superintendent, Mr. Scott Cook, shared that it was exactly one year ago this week that we were dismissing for a long weekend, and it ended up being a much longer break than we had planned for. Last year in March, the kids left school for a long weekend break, and they never went back, at least not for last year's uh, school year. He talked about how this past year has been the hardest in all of his professional career. But then immediately after saying that, he told us that because of the technology that had been implemented and the lessons learned through all of that mess that we went through, we as a school system are now better equipped to educate in uncertain times. We now have capabilities in regard to distance learning that we've never had before. In fact, it almost eliminates the need for missed education days due to bad weather. And I know how relieved and excited the kids are about that, right? We may still have to cancel in-person learning at times, but we won't, always have, we won't always have to cancel learning altogether on those days because of the technologies and capabilities that are now available to us. And it happened because we were forced to, Right? As they say, necessity is the mother of all invention. It was a tough year. And, 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 and a lot of bad things happened. We don't want to negate that or dismiss that. Horrible, heart-wrenching things. But let us make no mistake. God has done some very good things. God has blessed us in many ways. This difficult and hard time for our school system has yielded some rewards, some fruit, some blessings. And so I say all of that to illustrate that good can come out of evil. Do you believe that this morning, church? What some may intend for harm or or when this world throws some nasty curveballs at us, 
God can and will use it for good. And, and, and this should come as no surprise to us. God works all things for his good, right? Romans 8, 28. We're told that exactly in Scripture. He turns everything to work towards his ultimate plan. And that's what I want us to see today. Now, now hear this this morning. God's good work never justifies our bad, right? God's good never justifies our bad. Even if he uses it for good, it, it doesn't make it less sinful or less wrong when we sin. I, I just want to throw that out this morning as a disclaimer because I think sometimes we say, you know what, I don't regret anything that happened in the past because it, took, it brought me to where I am today. I, I don't regret the decisions I made because I learned from them. Great, I'm so glad we learned, but it doesn't make them right or good. Man, there are so many things in my past that I regret. Yes, I learned tons from them, but God could have taught me other ways if I would have been obedient and faithful to Him. I had to learn the hard way. Now, some of those lessons were hard not by my own choosing, right? And that's what we're going to see in Joseph's life today. But some of the lessons came the hard way because I chose to walk the hard path. So just hear me say today, God's good never justifies our bad, but he does do good out of it. Lamentations 3.38, it is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad, is, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Did you hear that this morning? A lot of times we will make excuses for God. We will say, well, God didn't intend for that. And, and, and please hear me. As we read in James, God does not tempt. God does not make us sin. God is not to blame for evil. But I'm telling you this morning, He is over all and through all and in all. And, 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 and if, not allow, or if not causes, He allows things. And because of His sovereign and divine power, He could stop all bad from happening. And because He doesn't, He has a reason. And because He's God, it is a good reason. We do not impugn or blame or convict God of any evil. But I'm here to tell you today that nothing happens outside of his power and control. And his word says it. Again, Lamentations 3.38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Or Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Did you hear that? All things according to the counsel of his will. Man, I'm, I know I'm getting excited. I'm not mad right now, I promise you. I'm not angry. This is exciting to me. Because when those bad things come, when all things, good and bad, come, I can rest in the confidence that, that it's not outside of God's control or power. God's not up in heaven, as I've said many times, flipping out, going, what am I going to do now? How in the world am I going to make anything good out of this? No, he has planned from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world, he had it worked out. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's got it under control? He's not sweating or flipping out or anxious. He's like, no, I already planned for that. And, and we go to God and God, don't you know? Haven't you heard? Are you aware? He's like, yeah, of course I am. I knew about that a long time ago. I've got it in the bag, man. Just trust me. Just follow me. 
Let's turn to Genesis. This was all a setup for three quick points that I want to share with you this morning. I have, I have five pages of notes. That was four pages. So we're close. Genesis chapter 45. I do want to go to Scripture today and read a couple of passages. And we're going to start with the end of the story. Isn't that fun? Who in here likes to read the last page first? I I don't. I'm raising my hand. But I know some of you do like to jump the end and read it first. And what's cool about us having hindsight of this story is we don't have to face the same anxiety and concern and worry that Joseph had to face it in real time, right? We know the end of the story. We know how it all works out. Whew! And so we can jump to the end. We can read in Genesis chapter 45, after all this bad, quote-unquote, has happened to Joseph, Joseph is now second in command in all of Egypt, and they are the superpower of the world at that time. And his brothers come to him saying, not knowing that it's him, we're going to starve, can we buy some food? Because he's been storing up food through those seven years of plenty. They talked about the dreams that Pharaoh had. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. So Joseph says, hey, let's store up through the seven years. Have everyone give a little bit of their, um, of their crop to you, Pharaoh, during those seven years. So that come seven years of famine, we've got storehouses of food ready to go. So his, his brothers come in chapter 45. They figure out who he is because Joseph reveals his identity. And they are scared, to say the least. But this is Joseph's response. Let's, uh, would you stand with me if you can and are willing in honor of God's word? This is the grace of God in Joseph's life. Even though they've done all of this to him, he has forgiven and he loves them. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive. I lost my place. To keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. And then let's skip to the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50. 
And let's read verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, Jacob has died. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So he was good to us while Jacob was alive in honor of him. But now that he's dead, he's going to get us and give us what we deserve. Isn't that what sin does? Sorry, this has nothing to do with my sermon today. But it keeps us, it keeps us worried and nervous and, and, and in bonds to the shame and guilt of the past. And so even now, after all these years where Joseph has shown them love and grace and mercy and, 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 and wealth and has given them land and given them prosperity, that sin that they committed so many years ago is still eating their lunch and they can't get past it. That suspicion that, that, that weighs there and says, yeah, they, they still might get us back. I know they said they forgive me. And, and, and it's really nothing about Joseph's character, and it's all about their own guilt. Okay, that was a freebie. Verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. So again, they're bowing before him. So now we have several different examples starting in verse or in chapter 40, how far does back does this go? Chapter 42, chapter 43, now in chapter 50, where they're bowing before him, which was the dream that Joseph had all those years ago when he was just a kid. It's coming to fruition now. His brothers, verse 18, also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, you are your we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Do you hear that trust and confidence? No matter where you take me, it's where God wants me. No matter what you do to me, God is using it. Verse 20, an amazing verse in Scripture. They're all God's words. They're all equally good. But this just stands out to me. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And that's not just to them. That's through Jesus, right? So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. They were the ones that sold him into slavery. That threw him in a well. That caused him all this pain and hurt. And he's the one comforting them. (laughs) All right, you can be seated. I just want to give you three quick points about God's good plan. The first thing is God's plan is always, hear me again, always a capital G good plan. You can take that to the bank. You can live in confidence. You can walk every day with your head up knowing his plan is a good plan. And I'm here to tell you this morning, he has a plan for every single one of your lives. And the plan that he has for your life is absolutely, wonderfully good in the end. That's the caveat. 
it will yield absolute good. But here's the tough pill to swallow, and this is the second point. The path of God's good plan is not always a delightful journey. Amen? I, I need to hear some amens on that one. <laughs> is it always a delightful journey? Indeed, it is not. I mean, ask Joseph. Let's ask Joseph this morning as we are looking at his story, at his life story, his testimony. And he will be the first to tell you that the path of God's good plan is absolutely a good plan. It is not always a delightful journey. I mean, Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers at the age of 17 or 18. That was in 1898 B.C. Joseph's about 17 or 18 years old. He served Potiphar for 10 years, worked his way up, and then after he had done so good, been so faithful, done everything right, Potiphar's wife says, Hey, Joseph, how you doing? (laughs) And Joseph said, "Uh Uh-uh, no way. Nope, I'm out. And, and after so many times of Joseph rejecting Potiphar's wife, doing the, good, the right thing, right? It had been so easy to, in secret, while Potiphar was out doing his business, to have this little relationship on the side. Potiphar would have never known, but God would have known. And Joseph said, no way. Potiphar's entrusted me with everything else, but you're his wife. You're off limits. And Potiphar's wife, feeling rejected, accuses Joseph of rape, and Potiphar believes her. Or at least he sides with her. Sends Joseph to prison. So for 10 years, he serves as a slave. Joseph does everything right and gets put in prison for it. Not a delightful journey. At the age of 28, he finds himself in prison, and the king's cupbearer and chief baker get put in jail too. And they have these dreams, as we saw in the video, and they come to Joseph, and they say, Joseph, or or they share their dreams with Joseph, and God gives Joseph wisdom and insight to interpret these dreams. The chief cupbearer has a dream about grapes and him pressing the grapes into the king's cup and giving the cup to the, or Pharaoh, giving the cup to Pharaoh. And, And the interpretation is, in three days, you will be restored to your former position. And so it happens. The chief baker has a dream where there's three baskets of food on his head, these baked goods that are in these baskets, and there's birds eating the baked goods out of the baskets. And the interpretation of that dream is that in three days, Pharaoh will behead you. And so he does. Both come to pass. And Joseph asked the cupbearer, listen, when you're, when you're restored, tell, tell Pharaoh about me. Plead my case before him. Well, it's not until two years later when Pharaoh has a dream that the cupbearer goes, Oh, wait a second. I knew a guy in prison who, who interpreted dreams. Maybe you should talk to him. Pharaoh shares his dream with Joseph, and Joseph rightly interprets the dream. There will be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. But that's another two years where Joseph is in prison. Twelve or thirteen years since his brother sold him into slavery before he comes to the point where God says, okay, now I'm going to show you 
my plan, what my plan was all along, what my capital G good plan was. You are going to be second in command in all of Egypt, and through you I will save the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And most importantly, I will save the lives of your brothers who will be the fathers of the nation that I am going to build, through whom the Messiah will come and I will save billions. And not just temporarily, but eternally. Do you see the significance of God's good plan? But Joseph had to travel a difficult journey. It was not delightful. Ask Joseph. Ask Job. Ask Jesus about the path to God's good plan. It is not always delightful. And that brings me to my last point. The path of God's good plan, though it is not always a delightful journey, it always leads to true blessings and eternal rewards. God's good plan or the path of God's good plan always leads to true blessings and eternal rewards. And I I was very careful about the adjectives I use in front of those words, especially in front of the word blessings, because sometimes we don't register, we don't recognize the blessings in our life as blessings because they don't always feel good, right? You know, you've heard say, don't pray for patience because God will teach you patience through having to be patient. But, but patience is a true blessing. It just is hard sometimes to learn it, right? But God's good plan, that's not always a delightful journey. It always leads to true blessings and eternal rewards. It may not be money. It may not be riches. It may not be power. It, it, it may not be friends or relationships. But it will be exactly what God knows is best for you. And more importantly, what is best for accomplishing his plan. For Joseph and for us usually, the difficulty is the only path to victory. In God's providence and perfect wisdom, it was the best way there. No other way would prepare Joseph for the task ahead, and it was a difficult task. Indeed, all those years with Potiphar was training him for Pharaoh, right? And, and, and that time with Potiphar's wife, it was teaching him about integrity and, and righteousness and holiness. Because if that temptation was bad now, this one woman coming after him, what's going to happen when he's second in command of all of Egypt? That kind of power attracts some people, right? Now it's one woman, then it's hundreds, thousands of women saying, look at me, Joseph, how about me? Don't you want me? And, and, and Joseph is going to have to say, no, 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 every single time because he wants to live in faith and obedience. And what God knew and, and what we all need to realize is that Joseph couldn't be fruitful before he was Faithful. My friends, we cannot be fruitful before we are faithful. And so God will take us through some tough times to teach us faithfulness. So that when he gives us the fruitfulness, we're ready to do with it what he wants us to do with it. We're ready to handle it well and righteously and holy and faithfully. And so God taught Joseph to trust him no matter what. Whether he's being sold into slavery by those 
who should love him the most. Whether he's being falsely accused and sent to prison when all he did was do the right thing. And in Joseph's life, as I've always or often said, I love the saying, and it's not original with me, so don't give me credit. The juice was worth the squeeze. And it will be in our lives as well if we will just trust God and wait for him to show us what he's leading us to. And it it may be this side of heaven and it may not be, but it will always be good. And so Joseph says to his brothers, with the kind of faith that we need to have each and every day, no matter what happens, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, what you intended for evil, God meant for, say it with me, good. Capital G, good. My friends, whatever anyone intends for you out there, no matter what you come up against, I can promise you, God is intending it for good. And if you are just faithful, if you will just trust him, if you will just follow him in obedience and and look to him no matter what happens, he will lead you somewhere good. There will be true blessings and eternal rewards. This past year, and I've referred to it before, the documentary, The Last Dance, was shown about Michael Jordan, about the Bulls, about their 97-98 championship year. Michael Jordan, probably the best NBA player ever, and I would argue that no matter what anyone else says about any other player. He gave this insightful look into the incredible success that he enjoyed. He said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. Over and over again. And this is why I succeed. And this is why I succeed. Because I learned how to fail. I learned how to work through the adversity. I learned how, and I would say from a Christian standpoint, I learned how to trust God no matter what I was going through because he was directing me and leading me the entire time. It didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it. I didn't like it very much. But as Jesus did in Jerusalem, I set my face toward the goal. You know, it says in the Gospels that he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the place where he would be whipped and mocked and crucified. But it also says in Hebrew that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus knew that his father's plan was good and perfect, but the journey would not be delightful. And yet he was willing to go through it, to suffer, to face hardships, to go through the pain. Because the end was worth it all along. Do you believe that today, my friends? And why? Why can I know this? Why can I say this with confidence? Because, and we will look at this in several months, there was another Joseph who took another trip to Egypt that wasn't what he planned or necessarily Wanted, But the circumstances of life, the hard circumstances of life forced him to travel to Egypt. You probably know the story and the Joseph I'm referring to. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Herod is threatening the life of Jesus. And so in a dream, God tells Joseph through an angel to go to Egypt where he will be safe until Herod dies. And so this flight 
to Egypt that Joseph takes because God has a good plan. It's not what Joseph planned, but it is what God planned all along. And that trip is what God used to keep Jesus alive, who would go on to face Jerusalem, to hang on a cross, to raise again from the dead, so that every single one of us could know with confidence that no matter what happens in this life, there are true blessings and there is an eternal reward in heaven. And as we dismiss today and close, I encourage you, if you don't know what that means, if you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Don't leave here today without knowing, without having the confidence of knowing what it means to have trust in such a Savior who allows you to walk through anything with confidence and courage and the knowledge that there is a reward in the end. Heavenly Father, right now, if there's anyone in here that that describes, don't let them wait another minute to come and talk to me as soon as this service is over about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that gives us confidence to push through anything. Oh Lord, that is the hope that we have in you and we are so grateful for it today. Thank you for Joseph's story. Thank you for sharing us insight into the struggles and hardships that he went through so that we can be encouraged when we go through hardships and struggles. Knowing that even though we know the end of his story, we do not yet know the end of ours, but the end will be good if we look to you, God. We know that and we believe that this morning and we thank you for it. And so we declare your praises among the nations so that they might know it as well. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.